Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis and I'm tired after getting up at 3am to watch Game 1, although I think I still had a more productive day at the office than Eric Bledsoe. More on that later. With me, Oh yeah. With me again to break down Game 1 into little pieces and put them under the microscope, it's Jackson, aka Rickman Lives, and Joe, aka No Scrodes McFly. Guys, Game 1 is in the books. How are we feeling? How can you feel anything other than tremendous after that, man? I mean, yeah, tired is the right word. I mean, as two Australians in a, yeah, in a Kiwi here, we were watching from the other side of the world, getting up at ungodly hours to watch the Celtics, but they didn't let us down. Um, I stayed up all night. I had another sporting uh, event to watch, which was a massive, massive letdown. So going on to the Celtics, um, just, <laughs> it wasn't the easiest. The, it didn't look like it was going to get there in the end, but no, it, it definitely lifted my spirits up. So yeah, feeling tremendous, man. Was that the Man United loss to mm, West Brom? Yeah, yeah, which gave City the title. <laughs> Unlikely so. victors. Yeah. No, <laughs> look, normally I would be like throwing shit around my house and yelling and ranting and getting on and just giving my hot takes on the United subreddit. But um, I had the Celtics look forward to. I kind of just got over it, moved on. And um, thankfully, thankfully, they came through with the business or I would have been in a, a prick of a mood today, I'm telling you. <laughs> Holy cow, dude. I can't believe you sat up that long. Like, I, I can't yeah. do that anymore, eh? Oh, I don't think I've done it since I was like 25. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I realized today why I sh- realized today why I shouldn't because yeah, just told man. Well, I was um, I was like early to bed, earlier to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. I was up at five o'clock watching uh, watching the Celts get in. Of course, uh, it going to overtime. Thank you, Chris Middleton. Made me late for work, but that's all good. <laughs> that's all good. I'm a contractor. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely ate into our days a little bit oh with that, that shot. I want to talk about Al Horford first as a starting point. He was obviously the MVP of this game. Absolutely the best player out there on the court, which is saying a lot, you know, given that Giannis uh, was out there with him. Uh, Al Horford, 24 points, which is his second highest point total this season. 12 boards, 4 assists, 3 blocks and 2 steals. Uh, and just dominating. Like, I don't know if you noticed that that first play... Or even before the tip-off, you could just see he, he was like strutting around at center court, like waiting for everything to kick off. And you could just see before the game started, you were like, oh shit, like here we go, it's playoff Horford, he's coming. And then we go to him on the first play, straight down into the post, bounce, bounce, bucket, just like aggressive in there, bodying up on uh, Giannis, I think, who was defending him and just like got the points and that kind of set the tempo 
uh, in terms of like his aggression and, and where we were going to as as a team in our offense um, right from the get-go. Yeah, clearly. The, the, f- the first play of every playoff series is always the most entertaining to watch because that's the tone setter. That's th- This is what we're coming up with you, first of all. And the fact that we went to Horford, it didn't surprise me because he, he remains like one of the Celtics' most underrated yet so many people think he's overrated player like it, he was invaluable to this young team today if he wasn't there I, I, I really feared for what might have happened and what might fear going forward in the series but no he was tremendous no, a stat that didn't get mentioned there 15 of 16 from the free throw line like first I can't remember the last time he was any went to the free throw line that much ever the fact that he only missed one of them and we've in the recent months, we've had, you know, mishaps with free throws. I'm thinking of the Washington game with, with Tatum missing it and also like the, the games that we won against Oklahoma City. So free throws in a game that was that tight to, to come through with that kind of performance, it was absolutely massive. So a massive, massive thank you to Al Horford. What a legend. Yeah, yeah. thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Clutch free throws as well. Mm. Like he, like with the game on the line, late in the game, late in the fourth and late in overtime, like he was at the line, um, some like sort of murmurs of MVP chants from the, the TD Garden crowd and he just knocked them all down. Like I think there was one, like you said, that he missed. Didn't matter in the end. But um, just like savvy veteran presence there from Al Horford, which is what we're paying the guy for. But he really comes alive in the playoffs. Yeah, it was it was obviously... Um, I mean, you can't get 16 free throws without, <laughs> without having the ball in the restricted area an awful, awful lot. And uh, it was interesting. I sort of felt like they kind of got away from him in uh, like the second quarter, particularly. Um, and um, and in the third, and in the third, uh, there was a comment from Tommy at halftime, and he's like, "Man, they need to get the ball into Harford." And and they sure did, right? <laughs> like they, um, I, it wasn't pretty, honestly. Horford's game is not elegant, eh? It's not elegant, but it is very effective. And yeah. um, and shoot, man, we needed it, like. I made a little comment in our little chat, like I was like, "Oh man, I feel like we're really missing that that Kyrie Horford pick and roll." But I guess the next best thing is that um, Horford post up. Hey, did any of you guys see the Kobe Bryant detail thing? By the way, yes, yes, I did watch I that. Did. You know how yeah. like you got you're talking about how it's the tone setter. It's like I think strategically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are wanting Al Horford to get double. You know, like we want to set the tone with Horford being super aggressive, and we want them to send two at him. And that's gonna get us in rhythm. I think that's uh, I think that's the strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was that that first play. Um, just skip to uh, the first play in overtime for a second here, where exactly that happened. We we fed Al in the post, um, and he held the ball patiently, and he was doubled. And then Jalen Brown cut to right under the basket, and he just fed him like perfectly. And he wasn't even looking in that direction, but. I guess just due to knowledge of the playbook and just experience, he knew he would be there and just like got the ball to, to Jalen open right under the bucket immediately. And that, that's the kind of stuff I think you're talking about. Like if he's going to get doubled up, he's always going to make the right play or he's going to make it nine times out of 10. Totally, man. He was getting guarded by Giannis. Giannis is huge. You know, like <laughs> the, there's a big length differential between Giannis and Horford, eh? And he's just, he's getting those hook shots right up over the top of him. And you, he really can use his body down there. Um, it was very his defense. Sorry, his defense as well. I when we signed Horford, like I knew that he was a sort of like an overall good, well-rounded player. But if someone said like, when you guys play Joel Embiid or when you guys play Giannis Antetokounmpo or these like you know superstar marquee players, Al Horford's going to be the guy who steps up mm. and like defends the shit out of them and just like shuts them down. Like relatively speaking, obviously Giannis like got his today. 
Um, but he didn't get the win, and a lot of that was due to Al Horford shutting him down for the most part and defending him like out of the paint and like on the perimeter and, and doing so very effectively. Uh, it's not something that I knew came as an Al Horford feature when we signed him, but very happy to see that that's, uh, that's something that he possesses. Yeah, that matchup's going to be super crucial for the rest of the series too. I think, you know, th- th- that second quarter probably aside, because that was just murder to watch at times. <laughs> we kept, we can, we defend, the defense I thought on Giannis was actually pretty good despite him getting 35 totally. points. He did get quite a few open layups. There were times where we just didn't pack the paint or they just were able to get in too easily, and that was probably mostly in the second quarter. But beyond that, I thought his defense was great, particularly in the first quarter too. I mean, there were a lot of steals. We got a lot of points off the turnovers. But I was just thinking as you were saying that about going to Al in the post, if, if we had Al Horford's game in Greg Monroe's body, then I, I don't see anyone stopping us. You know, they just... that. that he, what he lacks in just that that extra level of sort of, of as a big man, like that extra physicality that you could get, um, it would just make us unstoppable. It is deceptive though, because he does definitely get his body in there, and he and he uses it to his advantage quite well, particularly in this game. So, um, yeah, just to reiterate again, he did a great job on Giannis. Zach Lowe's thing is like Horford is so great because he has no weaknesses, you know, like, and that's more than just being a well-rounded player, right? Like, there's nothing you can do to exploit Horford yeah, on the floor, bad. You, nah. you know. Like wrote like I, I just remember I had I remember once watching uh, Rosier got switched onto Middleton and honestly it was just barbecue chicken. I yeah. would way mm. rather have Horford switch onto any guard, you know what I mean, than than Rosier have to have to have to take Middleton. He has this like ninja stance that he takes <laughs> when he just like he can see it in his eyes, like he's just like I'm locking this guy down, and he like sort of spreads his feet. And like puts his arms up and he actually, like you can see how big he, obviously he's a big guy, like he plays center or power forward in the NBA, but sometimes he's dwarfed by people who play his position who are much larger than him. But when he puts that that stance on, that ninja stance, you can just see how big he is and how capable he is. Another thing I noticed about Horford was um, the abundance of point Horford plays we saw in this game. So mm. many times he would bring the ball up, uh, which just immediately discombobulate, discombobulated the, the Bucks defense. Um, normally our offense is centered around that, that sort of Horford dribble handoff where you know he'll get the ball at the, at the top of the key and then we'll generate some movement from there. And from a, a coaching and planning and scheming standpoint, you can imagine that's where a lot of the, the defensive scheming would come from to, to counter that. And to see Horford bring the ball up like that, maybe not so expected from the Bucks coaching staff, um, whoever that guy is, by the way. Someone tweeted that he, he looked like the kid from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Uh, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I should have yeah. done my research and find out his name, but he probably won't be the Bucks coach. Yeah. Next I couldn't year, tell I couldn't tell how old he was. Mickey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell how old he was. He had his full head of grey hair, but sometimes he'd look like he was in his like mid thirties. He's an anomaly of a, he was an anomaly of a, an and uh, blah, blah, blah. he looks weird, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> Fatigue, yeah, yeah. nuts since three. <laughs> Never mind. Totally. I'll tell yeah, you no, what else I noticed yeah, about we'll give you a pass. today. Like he has beautiful eyes. He just has beautiful eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If his yeah. game was as pretty like he... as his eyes, we'd be unbeatable. <laughs> 82 and 0. He looks like he was the inspiration for like the invention of mascara. <laughs> they were, like wanted to create something that made everyone's eyes as beautiful as Al Horford's. <laughs> uh, another guy I want to talk about is Terry Rogier. Mm. Uh, the, the hot takes... I don't know if you guys were hanging out on the game thread on Reddit uh, like I was early in the morning or um, in the middle of the afternoon for, for Boston folk. The hot takes on Smart over Terry Rogier were coming out like hard and, and early in the game where Terry Rogier obviously didn't start particularly well. 
Um, and we all started to miss Marcus Smart a little bit. But obviously, he became Scary Terry, a.k.a. Scarence Terrence, when we needed him the, the most bad. in the fourth quarter <laughs> in overtime. And um, like his stat differential between like the first half and the second half in OT, particularly the fourth quarter in OT, are insane. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but it's like the bat signal came up late in the game and and like Scary Terry flew in and answered the call and it was great. But I want to know what you guys think, you know, just with these sort of topsy-turvy performance in this game, you know, with Smart coming back later in the series, how are you guys feeling about that, Smart versus Terry? I, I mean, obviously I've been on record as, as Smart as my favourite player. Um, Rosier may still yet be a better player. He may still yet be a better player. I'm more convinced than ever, though, that, Smart as the dude for us long term, for sure. Um, one thing, like I feel like Rosier tonight, this is what he is. You know, this is as his strengths and his weaknesses kind of all exhibited in in one game. And um, I love sure. that he um, sent uh, Eric Bledsoe to the hair salon um, on that <laughs> line. Not uh, my line. Man, was, not my line. So I saw it on RNBA, but um, yeah, yeah, it was a great line. <laughs> um, but but you know, like he. The ball got stuck up the top of the key a lot of the time, and that was a little bit of Rosier's indecisiveness. And Smart just doesn't get us stuck like that, you know. But Smart's probably not going to hit that pull up, pull back three. Um, and but I don't think as a team we need Rosier like we might need Smart personally. That's that's my that's my take. I just think Smart fills a bigger need for us than Rosier. I want to I want to just add a counter to that very quickly. Please do. Um, like knowing in this situation that Kyrie is out, does that sway your preference to Smart or Rogier? Like in terms of who's going to fill the Kyrie shoes? But in my opinion, Rogier has more of the attributes that are similar um, with Kyrie than Marcus Smart does. So while obviously it would be great to have Marcus Smart coming off the bench in his usual role to fill that that role that Kyrie gives us, which is, you know, splitting the defense, crossovers, hezzy moves, creating space, dishing to open guys once the defense collapses. You don't think that Rogier gives us more of that sort of Kyrie element that's than Smart necessarily could? Yeah, he definitely does. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting that you have to frame this all in the absence of Kyrie because yeah. at the moment we're talking about two backups here. I'm obviously with Joe here. Um, Smart is my preference to keep out of the two guys if it comes down to the to a point where you can only keep one of them. Um, just for his X factor, for his mongrel, for his, you know, just, just what he brings to the team. Not so much. His offensive game, we've said this a few times, is, is well underrated. His shooting, not so much, but his, his offense, just the, when the ball, mo- the ball movement when he's in, in the rotation is far, far better, I think, than when Rozier is in there. Doesn't quite have the crafty scoring skills that uh, Scary Terry can bring out. Look, I thought today, if you had taken Smart out of the occasion, sorry, if you'd taken Rozier out of the occasion and put Smart in there, I honestly, I don't know if it would have got a better performance, a worse performance, whether we would have won still or lost still. It's just, it's totally up in the air. But I think getting Smart back for this series with yeah. both of them involved is going to be, you know, outstanding. We can probably see how they, what they bring to the table when they're both on the floor together. It's a little bit unfair to say, uh, Rogier is crap, where's Smart, like when he's not playing or, or vice versa. So I'd like to see them together and, you know, see how, what they can, how they can do playing together and we can make a decision on that. Obviously, the, the fact that Kyrie's they going to be destined, back. They're just destined to fulfill different roles, eh? Like, yes. They, are, they, they play different, I don't even, it's like they play different positions, you know? Um, yeah. Go, go. Yep. Well, I'm sure that we'll see 
when we've got Smart back and he bricks his third, you know, contested three in a row, yeah. we'll see people saying, oh, you know, Scary Terry, Terry Roger, like he's that guy going forward. Yeah. And that's just going to um, seesaw, you know, back and forth depending on when they show their strengths and when they show their weaknesses. So it's just unfortunate that, you know, very likely we, we won't be able to keep them both and we've got a very tough decision to make. But that's all in the future. We're focusing on the now. Terry Rogier today, first half stats, six points, 37% from the field and only one assist. And then 14 of his 23 points came in the fourth quarter in overtime. He also had four boards, three assists and a steal. So he just came alive there when we really needed him. It's almost like the jitters of, um, and you can't really blame the guy. I mean, he's starting point guard in the playoffs for a storied franchise, the Boston Celtics. Pretty scary stuff. Uh, no pun intended. Um <laughs> And uh, he, he came through eventually, I guess, once those jitters wore off and um, he started to put up the sort of stats that we um, associate yeah. with Scary Terry. So that was good to see. Yeah. Still, out, still outscored all of the Bucks except for two of them. So even <laughs> even, even in ha- half a bad game, you know, he still outscored most of them. So... <laughs> at least yeah. He, yeah, he might have had jitters, but like at least he didn't completely wet himself like Shane Larkin, who I was mm. very high on in our little chat. And then he promptly... Uh, Soiled himself, yeah. Yep, so we're going to get to Shane Larkin and some of the the lesser performances a little bit later on. I want to talk about some of the better performances. Jason Tatum, the rookie, aggressive, confident, productive. He hit his first four shots. Clearly had none of those jitters that we were just talking about with Terry Rogier. Um, 19 points matching Tommy Heinsohn for the third most by a Celtics rookie in his playoff debut, trailing only Frank Ramsey and Kevin McHale. Uh, I was super impressed and... You know, we've talked recently about low expectations given our reshaped roster roster due to injuries. Um, And I didn't know where to have my expectations lie with Jason Tatum, knowing that he's a rookie and this is his first ever playoff series. Um, So every shot that he made, every good play that he made, I was just like gushing with joy. Um, I don't know, like it was very, very early or late, depending on how you consider it in terms of it being the middle of the night here. But I was very audible in my celebration of everything that Tatum did because it just made me so happy. The neighborhood, what did you guys think? neighborhood knew about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my wife and my dog definitely knew about yeah. it. <laughs> I, I think the thing with Tatum is like the whole rookie of the year. This is a bit of a, a tangent here, I guess. But like you know, we're, we're looking at him. Like you look at Ben Simmons and what he did for the Sixers, and you look at what Donovan Mitchell's been doing all all year long as well. Like put up twenty seven in the loss against Oklahoma City as well too. So two just outstanding players so far. But like it's kind of well, Tatum's I'm almost Australian. Fallen. <laughs> Another, we'll get him later. Um, the thing with Tatum, imagine he's from Newcastle. Sorry, yeah. sorry, go on. Four, four, four of his years were here. Yes, um, his formative <laughs> years. Um, yeah, but Tatum. Yeah, you just feel like he's almost slipping under the radar. Certainly not from our perspective. We're well aware of who he is and what he can be and what we all think he will be. But I just feel like everyone seems to think like, oh, you know, the Celtics. Oh, they're starting a rookie in the playoffs. You know, oh, that's that, that can't go that well. No, wrong. He was outstanding to start the game. I mean, obviously he had a, there was a little bit of a dip from the whole team on the whole as the game went on. But I mean, he was hitting some, some turnaround jumpers on the baseline that we saw him pull up in the summer league that got me particularly hyped on him there. Uh, there was a couple of threes that he hit that was big as well too. And just like, he just didn't look phased. Like we were talking about the jitters there. He, he just didn't have them. He was, it was a thoroughly professional and confident display. And you, you could only just assume that he's just going to get better and better and better. Like in this series alone, let alone the rest of his career. Yeah, man, he's ready. Um, you know what I mean? Like he's he's just not a rookie anymore. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's just he's just one of our dudes, man. And um, he's um, for me, I thought he had the I thought he had the best game 
of um, everyone but Horford. Um, sure. I just felt like I just felt more calm when he had it. You know, Brown, Brown, him is contrasted with Brown, like the different personalities. He's less mistake prone. Um, my only thing is I'd like to see him when he goes left, maybe finish with his left hand once or twice instead of going for that um, mm. extendo right hand reverse, which uh, isn't maybe so effective if Giannis is patrolling the paint. But he just he's just so polished. And, and, and he's he's the guy I trust the most with um, in the late shot clock for us right now, for sure. Yeah, which is crazy, right? He is a rookie. Yeah. Like, he's a polished rookie and he doesn't really feel like one because he's been with us so consistently all season. But he is a rookie and yet I feel the same way. Like, give him the ball in late-game situations, late-shot clock situations. Like, when it goes out of his hands, no matter how contested it is, like, I just just trust that it's going to go in and I'm always shocked when it doesn't. He is absolutely the silver lining to the Kyrie injury. No question. And um, just, just the series of reps he's getting at a high level... Because he is that dude, you know, like like he is that guy. With the, we need to have the ball, um, late late yeah. in the clock. And he was that guy at Duke as well. Yeah, yeah. And and if he is the guy who throws the horrific cross court pass that gets picked off, he's also the guy that oh, comes God. down and yeah. swats it. You know, he's his baller man. Very necessary redemption play. Very. Uh, and yeah, he had that go go gadget arms like right handed to the left reverse layup. Uh, towards the end of the game, I think we were only up by two or three at that point, yeah. and it was in like the late in the game. I think it got I think us to 106 to 108. I think it was that those two points off memory. Yeah, which was crazy and super necessary. Super. And um, like when he was going for it, I'm like, "There's no way he's making this." Like the d- defensive coverage was was thorough, mm. and you know he is a rookie. And despite you know what we just said that we trust that he's going to make these shots, like the, the coverage was there, and it's the playoffs, and you just didn't expect it to go in, and he just like made it happen and willed it in. That was amazing. He also had that huge dunk, which um, I'm already trying to like source an HD image of for a T-shirt in the first quarter with Giannis trailing him, uh, which just was like very iconic. And hopefully, um, you know, at the end of the season when ideally we we win, we can look back at that and that'll be like a nice little representation of of how the series went because that was pretty spectacular that he... You know, he didn't posterize Giannis, but if it were on a poster, Giannis was you know just behind him, just just failing to make that chase down block. So you know, and you know, know that was, that was cool. you know, a poster's coming from him though. You just get the feeling that someone's just gonna like you know, Jalen's done it a couple of times this year. You just get the feeling Jason's just gonna take no mercy on someone sooner or later. Hopefully in this series, and he that is, will be his. That'll be his his moment. You know, he's super dangerous when he catches the ball on the left wing and goes right. You know, that's when that yeah. extension and he he just yams it on guys from that angle. He's getting better coming off those screens as well and shooting those like top of the arc uh, threes. He made at least one of those in a pretty critical moment of this game. Um, and you mm. can see earlier in the season he was hesitating on those and usually passing out of those opportunities. And now he's just taking it. That was so a he's, he's tough got the shot, there. man. That was a, that was the one where yeah. he, like he um he had a pick and yeah, roll and he just kind of top. spun into the pick right and then just launched. yeah yeah tough shot. Uh. Couple more guys to talk about very quickly. Jalen Brown, he spurred a, uh, I guess you want to call it a comeback in the second quarter. Don't call uh, it a comeback. We'll get to it. We've been here for years. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> uh, uh, shout out to LL Cool J. But uh, twenty points and a game high plus eighteen, uh, plus four boards and four assists. 
Uh, he had a crucial three when we were down 10 with three minutes 30 left in the second to, to kickstart that comeback or not. So while he maybe didn't have the, the so many of the highlight plays that the, you know, the guys we've already spoken about, um, he was like a steadying presence there along with, with Al Horford and that, that plus 18 that he's finished with, which was a game high, like I said, uh, I think represents that. What did you guys think about Jalen Brown? Yeah, I, look, it, if you look at the numbers between Jason and Jalen, like the they're very similar. Like, I mean, I think, you know, Tatum got more rebounds, but like the field goal attempts were almost the same. You know, the assists, I think, were the same. You know, there was a bit of a uh, plus minus differential there. But, you know, the two of them together, I was kind of looking at them, how they were working together as a unit, because I think they were talking about like before on inside the NBA, you know, it was like a one-two punch, you know, that that's how they were going to operate. And the fact that one was a rookie and one was a sophomore is a little bit, you know, bizarre. But like, no, look, Jalen did very, very well he had a couple of big dunks in there that were that was great to see and yeah I think he he was forcing it to start with he didn't look super comfortable but like luckily we had the guys like Jason who were um, scoring on his behalf but the more the longer the game went in the more assured that he looked and you know he ended up playing you know 46 minutes more out of anyone else so um, yeah like it was a, it was a big performance and 20 points you can't really complain with that so no big performance from Jalen Brown his game is to dominate physically like and and I love that he's got such an aggressive mentality because that's what he needs to be able to harness what he got given. You know, like he's he's a skilled player. You know, he's an NBA skilled player, but he's not Tatum. He's not Kyrie. He's a power player, man. And I love seeing power players know who they are. There was one play he made. He um, I forget who he he caught the ball on the wing off a pin, I think it was off a pin down. And he just got a dude on his shoulder. I want to say it was Jason Terry, but I don't know that. It could have, honestly, it could have even been Middleton. He got his dude on his left shoulder, and he just rode him to the rim, man. And he just, he got it under there. He got it, you know, he got it under the hoop. It was real similar to that play against LeBron that he made when he was in his rookie year. Just rode it to the rim, man. And just, like, he just, I love his aggressiveness. I love his aggressiveness. And yet, he does force shots. He totally forces shots. But, um... You know, I don't want to say, like, there's no risk of him being Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, indeed. <laughs> no. Praise Jesus, there is no risk of him being Andrew Wiggins. I suppose that's a trade-off, yeah. too. Like, if you want him to be aggressive and power and really assert himself, then sometimes he might be prone to forcing a few shots there, yep. whereas Tatum will kind of let it more come to him, too. But, like, you know, th- th- it's almost like a yin and the yang between the two of them. You know, when Jalen is, like, when he is properly dunking and he's getting about, and he had a quite... I think he had a few steals in the first quarter as well, too. So, like, yeah, he was really putting himself about, even if it wasn't, you know, going exactly the way that he was intending to. But, yeah, the longer it went on, the more assured that he looked. And, yeah, it was fantastic. It's, it's just occurred to me, but I'm wondering... If a, like a, a, a kind of left fieldish comp for Brown is Westbrook, like go on. It's just it's it's not it's kind of the skill set. It's a little bit of the skill set. I think he's a better shooter and obviously a way worse ball handler. And Westbrook is an incredible finisher around the rim. It's a mentality thing. It's 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 um it's how he plays with physical force. Um, it reminds me of Westbrook to be honest. And Westbrook will force shots, man, you know. And Brown's going to airball a few. He is going to airball a few. He's going to take some drives that he probably shouldn't have taken. But that's how, to me, he's going to get the most out of what his God-given talents are. Yeah, they, they definitely share qualities um, in athleticism, for sure, and just like raw physical talent. I do feel like you know, despite being a bit younger, that Jalen Brown is a little bit more cognizant of like basketball like strategies and his teammates and and getting people involved. Totally. And, I mean, 
I mean, that probably sounds a little bit weird because, you know, Westbrook's just averaged a triple-double for the second year in a row. So to say that he doesn't get people involved... It's not weird. Is, I'm, a is a bit silly. I'm a New Zealander. I'm a New Zealander. Westbrook's been stealing <laughs> Stephen Adams' shine for ages. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> Jalen Brown just seems to play more within the flow of our like our motion offense, whether that's more to do with the system that, that Brad Stevens has implemented or just being a slightly different character, maybe an evolution, if you will, of of Russell Westbrook. I, I do see the similarities there, but I, I think that Jalen Brown is a, is a more heady player and um, we'll, we'll just grow into that and lean into that that aspect of, of his persona more as he gets older. Totally. I mean, maybe it's too long a, a bow to draw, but it's just... Um, I just love aggressive players. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I feel it, and you're right there with the aggression. Like it's uh, it's totally there, and uh, hopefully, you know, he'll hold on to that aggression, but maybe be a little smarter about it and a little more cognizant when it comes to his teammates. Another guy we want to talk about who is maybe a little bit less pass friendly, uh, Mook Morris, Marcus Morris, um, had some crazy moments in this game. Uh, I mean, if you look at his stats off the bench, I mean, he he was our bench for the most part. 21 points and seven boards. Huge uh, production. He had that four-point play to close the first quarter, uh, which was awesome and sort of gave us a bit of momentum heading into the second, which obviously didn't, didn't last, last going yeah. into the second. <laughs> but, uh, but that was a great moment. He also had a couple of good drives to the cup late in the third, which was a, a crucial part of the game for us where it was really tight there. Um, and it's, it was quite a bit different from his usual pull-up mid-range ISO stuff where he was kind of getting guys coming up on him and defending him quite closely closely, and and then he would drive fairly aggressively to the bucket and finish well, finish effectively and consistently. So that was really good to see. Yeah, it, it was someone I was having a couple of reservations about coming in because the last few games that he had played, his offense was nowhere near the levels it was when we went on that that mini West run there um, where he was just, you know, unconscious at times. Um, but he came through big time. I mean, yeah, you talked about the four-point play at the end of the third quarter, at the end of the first quarter, sorry. I think there was a play, it was either in the third or the fourth. The yeah, Joe, you sent a message saying, this is a terrible possession or a terrible offense. And I was <laughs> I was like nodding and agreeing. And as it happened, I think he just, as the shot clock was winding down to 2-1, he just picks up this, he picks up the ball, similar from where he hit the shot against Oklahoma City, <laughs> the winner there, yeah. and just turns around and launches it. And it was and it was a swish. And I just thought to myself, Ooh, this is yeah. just, this is like atypical <laughs> of his game, you know. Sometimes you look at it and it's frustrating and you think, oh, yeah, you've missed your chance or you've taken it too long or that's the wrong call and stuff like that. And that was all, it was no, 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 no. Yes, moment. So he was just, it was, he's, he's, the role that he's, he has with this team to be the scorer, to be, you know, that kind of consistent, reliable, you know, source of points off the bench. He's playing it so well. And, you know, to, for him to do it in game one of the first round um, is very, very good omens going forward. I absolutely loved his game today. Those drives you're talking about um, were. They were just awesome. Like, that's what, you know, like, Brown can learn from that. You know, they were super patient, eh? You know, he he, yeah. he got the closeout. He took he got his shoulder passed. He waited, got the guys to freeze, then picked the angle and went. He did it. There was at least two of them, I can remember. Um, he, he was just like, we have this cricket player in New Zealand called Kane Williamson. And uh, Kane Williamson's nickname in New Zealand is Steady the Ship. And and Marcus <laughs> Morris was steady the ship today. Mr. He was awesome. Mr. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. No, that's uh, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. You know, this is one of the best things about doing this podcast is that we'll, we'll see a, a reference like that tying uh, Mook Morris to a, to a New Zealand uh, cricket player. That's that's amazing. And that's that's why we're all here <laughs> for the hottest takes. Now, and a cultural education. <laughs> guys, I want, to, I want to know from you what were your favorite moments from this game and what were your least favorite moments from the game. And I think it's going to be a good way to, to break down some of the non-stat-based parts of the game. Yeah. Well, for me, like my favorite moment by far, given that it was over time that I'd been up for so many hours and it was just an intense, draining experience, when Giannis got ejected with 14 seconds remaining, up three, that's when I knew we were safe. <laughs> it was like, we yeah. probably, look, we may have run out with the, with the game anyway, but I just couldn't relax after that Middleton three. So when Giannis got ejected, either rightly or wrongly, whether it should have been the um, the jump ball prior to that with Tatum or, or for one of the thousand bloody flagrant travels that he probably should have been, you know, punished for in some respect, but hey, whatever. Once he went off, that's <laughs> when I knew it was safe and that's when I could actually breathe a sigh of relief. So like, you know, and in, in an ultimate sort of way, that was my favorite moment. I think my least favorite moment was the entirety of the four, of the second quarter. Mm. We had, we made four field goals and turned the ball over five times. And uh, what did, Milwaukee went on a 24 to 6 run or something like that and it was just it was like everything in the first quarter was like good this is what I want the series to be this is how I want us to play it's looking good the second quarter was everything we had feared the offense isn't there Giannis is dominating they're getting points in the paint almost at will and I was just really just you know contemplating my position and my expectations on the Celtics for for the playoffs though so that was a pretty low moment thankfully though we're at they were able to arrest that going forward um, for me, it would be, well, it could be possibly the, um, what the foot shook that Mook took. <laughs> the shook, um, shook Mook took. No, for me, it was actually probably Tatum's rebound where Giannis should have fouled out. Um, that got me hyped. I was like, I thought for me, that was probably the game clincher, <laughs> you yeah, know, at the time until it became a jump ball. I was like, yes, we've got this. Tatum's got this. Um, it was just, it was a really like, it was a, it was kind of a little moment for him, man. Like that was just a man-sized rebound, eh? And he just flipping yanked it. It was mean. Um, low moment for me was probably the third Shane Larkin turnover, where I think Zella jumped the passing lane, yeah, and uh, and took it, <laughs> took it to the, took it to the house, man. That was horrific. Yeah, and then one of the highlights at halftime like was a Tyler Zeller fast break <laughs> dunk in an open lane, which was just like I thought I was I'd fallen asleep and was having nightmares when I was watching that. Like that was that's not cool. You don't want to see yeah, that. You told me before the game that was going to happen. I would have I would have yeah, probably not watched again, <laughs> thinking, thinking yeah. given what what else is going to happen that game. But yeah, skip the second quarter, man, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we we'll get to adjustments for for later in the series and. Um, a big part of that segment is going to be just never reliving that second quarter again. But my favorite moment of the game, I, I think one of you already mentioned this, was that Mook turnaround long two-pointer, um, which is really, you know, if you hear someone scream like in your neighborhood in the middle of the night because of the time of the night it is, you're, you, I can only assume like that's an ominous situation. That was I was the source of that scream in, in my neighborhood. Like I was had been fairly quiet for the duration of the game. When that happened, it was just such a ridiculous shot at such a critical juncture of the game that I, I couldn't 
couldn't contain my emotions and it was just such an insane shot and of course like of all the people who can make that it's going to be Marcus Morris so it was definitely my favorite moment of the game I think there was a uh, 145 left in regulation and we were up uh 89 87 so and it was a completely broken down play as well so the fact that we we got those much needed points at that point of the game was insane least favorite moment echoing your sentiments already the Shane Larkin turnover frenzy in the second quarter uh so second quarter stats versus the rest of the game five turnovers in the second quarter um and Larkin had four of those turnovers um mostly on those botched attempted plays uh, the pick and roll plays with Moose, yeah. something that I've hardly seen us run in the past, but it seemed like maybe it was this like this weapon that they had decided on where we're gonna we're gonna break out the the secret Larkin Moose uh, pick and roll play, which just it failed miserably over and over again. And he was just yeah. throwing those bounce passes at his feet and just like, yeah, it was completely. Would have worked if the object was for Mook to cook, kick it into the uh, kick it into the third <laughs> row of the stands. But yeah, yeah, it's a nice uh, like a nice little drop kick play, but. Uh, <laughs> Shane Larkin was the one who turned out looking like a dropkick, unfortunately, in that second quarter. But he did redeem himself <laughs> later on in the game. I've got some runner-up uh, favorite moments. So uh, the Tatum dunk, which we, we went over before with Giannis trailing. Uh, the huge Shane Larkin redemption three late in the game. Very necessary points there. Uh, or Rogier, like you said earlier, Joe, just completely cooking Bledsoe, just turning him inside and out and, and hitting what should have been the game-winning three. Uh and like we mentioned earlier, the Tatum crazy reverse layup to put us up three with 122 remaining. Should add, we haven't really spoken about this much yet. In terms of least favorite moments, the Middleton shot. The Middleton shot. Yeah, um, we've kind of blocked that which, out, haven't we? <laughs> like it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of... Fortunately, it's not that difficult to talk about because we ended up winning the game. But, um, you know, the, the Rogier shot went down and you're like, game winner, can't wait to like go to the game-winner highlight on RNBA and, like, talk shit as a Celtics fan. And then Middleton just, like, does whatever yeah. the hell he did. Uh, really was not expecting that to go down. But that was a yeah. that was a shitty moment. And uh, for, for the most part, because I knew I had to stay up out of bed <laughs> just that little bit longer and watch overtime. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an free out of this Free basketball is not world. always free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, really, it was an out of this Costly. world shot, wasn't it? Like, I mean, I'd, I, I had flashbacks to the Utah game when Jalen knocked down the... The three and they put the clock. I think they gave him point three of a, of, a, of a second to take the shot. Oh, and I remember yeah. saying, "That's just about as much time you need." So when I saw point five, I was like, "Okay, just you know, just just stay on the three. It should be sweet." And no, he launches this Steph Curry esque, you know, bomb from almost half court or wet in it. It was just one of those moments where you just you just blank face, silent. Takes about ten seconds to. To, to process exactly what would happen. I thought they might even wave it off because it was it was so close to coming out of his close. fingers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, um, no, it was a, it was a massive shot there. I'm sure it was wonderful for all the neutrals there. But no, it was like it was just like getting kicked in the in the nether regions, man. That was <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> there was one other moment with 3:30 left in OT where Giannis flew down an open lane for a huge dunk oh. and then like posed and screamed yeah. at the camera. And it gave me this feeling of dread, like, oh, shit, like, we might lose this game. It just, it seemed like one of those moments where it was like a superstar is born. Like, obviously, he's already a bit of a superstar, but it was like, and we're just the unfortunate, like, victim team that happens to be playing him. And this is his moment in his career where he, like, gets to the second round and, like, succeeds a little bit more or whatever. Just felt like one of those theatrical moments, and it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad we, uh, that was off the secondary to... break, right? And he was trailing... Yeah. And Horford and I think Rozier, I think Rozier had just kind of missed a layup. And so 
they were both back there. I was so with you. I was like, oh, is our spirit gone here? Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. That, that would, yeah, that was dark, man. That was really dark. Yeah, that was real spooky. Uh, moving on to a lighter subject, though. Uh, some team news before we move on to game two. Celtics guard Marcus Smart completed a shooting workout prior to the team's 113-107 to overtime win in game one of its opening round series, uh, of which we've just discussed. And uh, he said he remains on track to re- return from his thumb injury in time for a potential game seven. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Um, but for the most part, we only discuss very tragic, very depressing injury news uh, on this podcast or in any Celtics forum. Um, and lately, you know, with this news of Marcus Smart coming back sooner rather than later, that, that's been great news. Um, how do you guys feel about uh, Marcus Smart's injury news and his potential to come back late in this series and the sort of impact that he might have? Well, I'm glad it's the the, uh, the prognosis or the, the, his estimated, you know, time of arrival is actually, you know, staying consistent, that we haven't had any updates coming through that, uh, oh, it turns out that there's a, there's a tension wire in his, you know, his hand that was there two years ago, <laughs> yeah. and it's infected. Um, so, you know, the fact that he's still, the fact that he's still on track to return when they actually said he would, um, yeah, that's, that's probably promised. the best news possible. <laughs> I didn't know about it, man. I'm still there. Um, yeah, so I think undoubtedly we're going to be a stronger team with him in the squad. Um, hopefully, like you said, it doesn't come to seven games. But um, if it does, then that's a that's a pretty handy handy weapon to bring off the bench. Hundred percent. We need him back. Um, I think Larkin, like Stevens, is going to give Larkin full trust next game. I think one, Stevens really likes Larkin, and two, Larkin has been great this year. He's been awesome. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about uh, Larkin, but I would way prefer Smart in his stead. And Smart's a baller, man. He'll be back. If we, I think the series is probably going to go to seven, and I expect Marcus to be back for that for that game. Yeah, sad. I, I feel like it's going to go to seven as well, too. As much as I hope it, it doesn't, I just feel like probably we're in for we're in for six more games of, of roughly that tempo yeah. there. But um, yeah, having him back will be fantastic. Um, something else that a spot that took my eye on the uh, on the subreddit today is uh, some of Jason Tatum's rookie stats. Now they go on. The user here is Squim Jim, and he goes on to list uh, a couple of uh, known NBA players: LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Giannis, McGrady, Carmelo Anthony, Bradley Beal, etc., etc., etc. Compares Tatum's uh, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, true shooting, and a bunch of other stats there in comparison to them. And you need to look at it because I I thought he was you know bullshitting at first because it's like first in field goal percentage, first in three-point, first in true shooting, if field, uh, field goal efficiency first, and it just goes on and on and on. So I mean, like we didn't need any more convincing that Tatum was going to be something special, but like the stats here, you know, it's starting to you know really back up that claim. Yeah, and it's not what this podcast is about, and we're not going to go there, but we've talked in just as recently as the last episode about the, the trade rumors that are sort of uh, bubbling up from nowhere with regards to uh, Kawhi Leonard and one of our, our good young players, and you, you see stuff like this, and you're just like, Ugh, like I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want Tatum to be involved in any sort of trade, mm. Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard or otherwise, because the potential is just too much. It's too great at this point. It's way too spicy. Yeah, and there's also something, as a fan, I, there's something satisfying about just watching your dudes get better. And, you know, I, I feel like, look, if we trade for Anthony Davis, I'm not going to be mad, but, like, it's more rewarding to sort of watch young guys grow and develop and then become who they are. Like, 
And I kind of want us to have that experience with Tatum and Brown. That's it might not be the best thing for the team, but that's what I want as a fan. Yeah, you you feel like either one, there's no guarantees, obviously, but you either feel like one or both of them are going to be all stars and are going to be probably either the the second, third, or even best player on a championship team. I mean, that's obviously how we all feel. That's what we all want because we want that championship team to be us, obviously. But look, I mean, the potential they've got's undeniable. So you'd be opening up a whole can of worms with the trade talks again here. But yeah, I I think about it a little bit. I change my mind all the time. Right now, in this moment, no, I don't want to trade them. I, I want to keep them. I want to see where they go. And, yeah, I want I want the banners with my boys. And, and hey, look, the other thing, I did have a listen to, you, to your podcast last week, and, and it's just really hard for us to trade them for anything because we don't have any bad salary. Like, we mm-hmm. do not have any bad salary that we can put together with them to to get a Kawhi or, or a Davis right now, you know? We don't even yeah. have mediocre salary. If we're gonna if we're gonna get one of these guys, we have to trade someone like Hayward or Horford or Irving, and like we're just like we don't want to trade those guys, you know. So so I just I don't think for the time being it's a it's a starter. I think you know which, whoever gets that contract out of Smart and Rozier may be on the maybe that piece, but hey, who knows? Yeah. I think let's let's at least see how they go in the playoffs before we start, you know, entertaining yeah. the idea of, of trading any of these pieces away. Because you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that this team, without two of it, without two of its all stars, makes it to the East Conference Finals. And for a team that consists of you know a lot of rookies, then that, as far as I'm concerned, the potential is unlimited. So I would not be trading them away at this point in time. No way. We got a fir- we got a first and second year player who are the second and third best players on this team, and they will be for the rest of you know, for the rest of the playoffs. And we might win. We might win two rounds, you know? So, um, flip, man. The, it, yeah, you know what I mean? The, totally. the, the, the future is <laughs> That's here. That's our two know? best players. Yeah, the, the future is, is definitely bright. Um, and I, I don't want to let go of those two guys. But Danny Ainge, like, he can't... It's difficult to predict the way his mind works and, and what, what he will do and... At least we can sort of rest assured based on like historically his moves that whatever he does will probably work out for the best. I want to move on to the post game thread from from the epic game earlier today or or yesterday if you're listening in the states. Uh, user Poncho, I was about to have a fucking aneurysm if we lost because they refused to call a six foul on Giannis on that Tatum jump ball. Something you mentioned earlier, Joe. Um, there was a makeup call a little bit later. Uh, he says, "Holy shit, what a game though! Like everyone came up huge." Uh, in the second half and OT. Absolutely true. Al was awesome all game. Jalen spurred the comeback in the third and Mook was insanely clutch in the fourth. And he goes on to, to basically congratulate everyone on the roster, which is fair enough. It was a, it was a crazy game, like he says. Um, and it, I feel like I aged a good five or ten years watching it. Um, Don't worry, man. You still look, still look great. The... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, the people out there can't. Can't see me po- and make podcast that judgment. Listeners, he doesn't look a day over see. 30, guys. Yeah, podcast <laughs> listeners, you can't see this, but Ben's a handsome cat. He's a handsome cat. Several days over 30. <laughs> but uh, anyway, remain a mystery for now. Uh, and user Burrito Ninja, let us pray. Our nephew, who art in Boston, <laughs> Terrence be thy name, thy defenders be spun, thy threes be sunk in the garden as it is on the road. Give us this day our daily tray and forgive us our draft grades as we forgive those who now underrate thee and lead us into the playoffs, but deliver us Banner 18. Amen. 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 
Amazing. Thank you, Burrito Ninja, yeah. for that. You got yourself an up for Burrito Ninja. Doing it right now. <laughs> Pow. <laughs> and then the, the, the sort of the, the game thread, the post game thread descends into your usual stuff. Your, uh, your Banner 18 boogies, your Al Horford is my dad, Jalen Brown is my dad, Jason Tatum is my dad, everyone's somebody's dad. <laughs> Retire number 42. Uh, good place to hang out, good place to celebrate, good place to revel after a, uh, an amazing and emotional win. Now, guys, looking ahead to game two, which uh, is in a couple of days from now, I'm actually going to be on a flight uh, and the plane takes off as tip-off is scheduled. So, um, boo earns, but, you know, first world problems, I guess. Now, let's, let's talk about some of the adjustments the teams are going to make heading into game two. Uh, I want to hear from you guys about what adjustments you think the Celtics are going to make and the adjustments that the Bucks, who are probably more in need of adjustments, are, are going to make. What do you guys think? Well, from a Bucks perspective, I think the most obvious thing is they need to get offense from other places other than Middleton and other than Giannis. Look, I think Giannis is talented enough to win a game almost by himself as long as the other the other guys aren't turning it over or aren't fouling out. I think Middleton is a very viable number two option. But, I mean, they got nothing out of Bledsoe or Snell or, or Henson or anyone else who was coming off the bench even. You know, Brogdon hit that three that, that tied it up the first time too. And he's, he's a nice little player there. But they really need more production from, um, from, from other players too. I was quite surprised we didn't see the, uh, the other two famous Australians, Della Vadova and um, Ton Maker, coming off the bench there. They, um, they have stuck firmly to, uh, to the Milwaukee bench there. But, um, yeah, they obviously need to get more offense from their teams and they'll need to find a way to just shut the rest of us down because I mean we have a very balanced offense as you could see from game one you know a lot of our guys were in 20 points Tatum had 19 so I think there's a lot more adjustments not more work than for those guys to do outside of just having Giannis be Giannis you know they um they've got some work to do to catch us offensively I don't I'm not sure what the Bucks can really do to adjust to be honest like there's a reason why, and I, look, I don't really like matchup hunting, and I kind of mentioned that, you know, that to you guys, you know, when we're kind of discussing this beforehand. But pre-show, pre-show, yeah, little, our little pre-show <laughs> production meeting. Um, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, if we're gonna assert Horford down on that block, which was clearly what we're trying to do, right? And the best response they have is to put Giannis on him. He's the best guy to cover Horford. You know, it's not it's not Henson. Okay, so if if that's the case, right, and we're gonna do that and we he's just like he's he's just completely asserted his, his ability to control the offense from there, right? I don't know what the Bucks do defensively. I don't know what else they do. Like if that's gonna be what we look to establish, then um then I feel very confident in our ability to manufacture enough points against these guys. Now I think for us an adjustment that I want to see, I want to see I want to see Rosier do a lot more off. The, when he we need to get that ball side to side, and when we that when it come, gets reversed back to Rosier in the in the middle of the floor, I want Rosier to be way more decisive. Um, I felt like today in the first three quarters he was way too indecisive, getting stuck in the middle of the floor, and we wasted a lot of clock with absolutely nothing happening right at the top of the yeah. right at the top mm-hmm. of the three point line. Um, Swing it, get into a pick and roll, do something, penetrate, like don't hesitate. That's what I want to see from Rosier. That's the adjustment I want to see. Yeah, maybe now that he's got a, a bit more confidence. Totally. Which he obviously, like he took on more in the later parts of the game, like we've already said. He, Hopefully going into game two and, and then on, 
he, he's got that confidence with him and he doesn't hesitate. He was out, he was out of rhythm. He was clear out of rhythm. You, yeah. He airballed one of those yeah. threes, eh? You know, like that's that's the kind of thing you do when you're just tense, you know? So yeah. so I expect a much improved performance there. I would I would also I'm sure the rest of us would agree with this too. I would also really like to see more from Greg Monroe. Like he I think he played ten minutes today mm. and most of that consisted of the ball bouncing off his shoe from a Shane Larkin <laughs> pass. So there wasn't really a lot that he could do about that, but I really would like him to, you know, lift his game up and just become a little bit more, you know, prominent in the post there. Because I mean, as much as Al Horford likes to take it to the post or he can guard Giannis at the post, if you've got to think like, you know, three, four, five games of this, it's going to start to wear him down and it, 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 fatigue yeah. could become an issue and he could get some bodies banged up and God knows we, we, we're well familiar with what injuries can do to this squad or what, what, how it can destroy this squad supposedly destroy but supposedly. having said that like supposedly yeah. <laughs> Brad's always got some tape he'll be right but no I'm, I think I think for Munro to come in and take that burden and work in the post a little bit more he probably won't be able to defend anyone there anywhere near as effectively as Horford can but just from an offensive perspective to get him into the post and get a little bit more production out of him I think if we can I think if Brad can find a way to get that to activate the moose against the Bucks, then I think we're laughing yeah, I think activate the moose is going to be written on the whiteboard in the locker room. Yeah. Big uh, red letters, capital. Big, big strategy. Yeah. We, we know that he's capable. We know that he has those offensive abilities. And we've got Baines uh, for the sort of the defensive side of things uh, from a big man perspective. But that's uh, what Moose contributes off the bench offensively as a big man. And he, a couple of bunnies that he seemed to miss at certain points in the game where like that's that's his music, you know, like he, he should have made those shots. Um, I don't know if it was just the moment getting to him or... Um, whether you know, the Bucks he's played for them before, maybe they they know how to scheme against him a little better than other teams do. But he just didn't seem to have that that moose quality um, that w- that we've sort of come to know him for. So hopefully he um, he picks that up. Another adjustment that I think uh, will be integral down uh, the stretch. Uh, obviously Middleton and Giannis played extremely well, and we'll probably adjust our defensive scheme somewhat to to cover for the Middleton side of things. They've got some quality players, Brogdon. Uh, and uh, Jabari Parker, who um, has shown flashes of, of, of being a great player in the past, um, he did not play particularly well at all. And those guys are really going to have to step it up from the Bucks' point of view for them to have a chance in this series overall. I, I do think that um, once our defense adjusts a little more to cover Middleton, uh, these guys are going to have to step up. They are professional NBA players, and they, they probably will to some degree. And we're going to have to adjust our defense even more to cover for that. So I think that's going to be interesting moving on, especially once we play on their turf in Milwaukee in games three and four and onwards. Mm. We have I, a significant coaching advantage over Mr. Dennis Domenis Senior. Too, so. <laughs> I was joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> AKA the, the kid from Jerry Maguire. Oh, Jerry Maguire, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mixed up my child actors. I'm no, sorry. It's got some Dennis and Mansfires as well, for sure. 3 a.m., 3 a.m. All right, guys, that just about does it for the first playoff edition episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. Joe Jackson, thanks very much for joining us. Cheers. Thanks for having us. My absolute pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Uh, can't wait for game two. Like I said, I'll be in the air, but uh, I'm going to stay away from social media. I'm going to stay away from everything. I'm going to watch that game uh, once we land. Uh, and then we'll be back with you guys shortly after game two to break down uh, hopefully another Celtics victory. But uh, whatever comes of that, we'll be here to, uh, to lead you guys through it. And we look forward to it. We'll see you guys then. Peace. Peace.